0: A podcast one production. Uh, Fail! Welcome to Fail with Greta Lee Jackson. The podcast where I speak to people about times they messed up and what they learned on their journey to success. When my partner and I were first dating, I was trying very hard to impress him. I took it upon myself to invite him around to my house so I could cook him an elaborate dinner. I plan to cook my specialty, chicken breasts stuffed with pesto, feta and semi-dried tomatoes, garlic mash and broccolini. I was trying so hard to have everything perfect for him that I prepared the chicken breasts well in advance, stuffing them well ahead of time and keeping them in the fridge for a few hours while I cleaned the house and got ready. I then shoved the chicken in the oven exactly 25 minutes before he was due to arrive because that's how long it takes to cook and I wanted to have it ready to go for him. I had lit the table on my balcony with candlelight only. Again, I was trying very hard and I served us dinner. I gave him a big serving of chicken compared to the small one I was having because at that point I was still trying to come off as all cute and feminine and playing the whole, oh, I don't eat very much game. Lying, basically. Halfway through his chicken, he stops and, not wanting to offend me, says, do you mind if I check if this is cooked? I was horrified. Not about him asking me, but about the possibility of me serving my dream man undercooked chicken. I rushed it to the kitchen, where there was more light than just a dumb candle, and sure enough, a large percentage of it was raw. Oh no. I realised that because I'd kept it in the fridge for so long, rather than just preparing it and chucking it in the oven as I normally do, it would have needed longer to cook than it normally does. And my chicken had cooked, because it was the small bit. I was almost crying. How could I have made such a stupid mistake? So he excused himself for a quick preemptive spew and the whole time I'm thinking, he's never going to want to see an idiot like me again. I've totally blown it. Good work, Greta. Give the guy food poisoning. But to my complete surprise, he came back for dessert. He didn't want me to feel bad and took a risk on my second course. I was overjoyed and I told my brother about it a few days later. He said, geez, he must really like you. I would have started running and not looked back. Don't do it again, Yeah. Fail. In this episode, I'll be talking to journalist, presenter and comedian Jan Fran about Facebook fixes and how to write an
1: embarrassing cover letter. I tell this story of like being at the Meredith Music Festival and I was in the line to the compost toilets of all things. And this was at like 2am in the morning and there was this chick who was hella drunk behind me and she recognises me and she goes, hey, she's like, I know you. And I was like, mm-hmm, and she looks at me and says, you're that girl that talks about politics on the internet. And I thought about it for a minute. I was like, yeah, that is exactly who I am because I had no idea where she was going to go with that, but she, she kind of nailed it and I was like, thank you. That could be your Twitter bio. That's my tr- that should be my Twitter bio, yeah, yeah. and it just it was the wisdom of the inebriated... <laughs> Look, I could sit here and t-
0: and say all the things you do and all your achievements and and who who you are as a okay, professional yeah. person. I, can you? I could, <laughs> but I prefer to, for you to tell the listeners who you are, what you do, and and do it in your own words. Because I mean, I, I could. Do you want me. to I'll, I'll look up your IMDb while we're do, while we're doing that. I don't
1: even know if I have an IMDb. I don't even know if I have a wiki page. I don't That's how, how page. low on the rung I am. Oh, you don't have a wiki page. Okay. Um. Let's see if I can do it because I'm always a bit confused as to exactly what it is that I do because I do a bunch of things. But I guess I'm a journo. Mm. I'm a journo, TV presenter. And you've got lots of academic documents and frames down there. So. I am a university graduate <laughs> um, and, I, yeah, I have framed my two arts degrees. I have. Mate, it's, same. Good for noticing, yeah. <laughs> um, and I guess I'm like a, a person that makes videos on the internet. Yes, same. Yeah, yeah. What do you call yourself?
0: Content creator.
1: Yeah, sort of. I'm, I'm trying to shy away from calling myself that because I immediately feel like a wanker, but I guess that is what I do. Well, it's what we do. Technically, it's what we do,
0: but I, it, it doesn't sound good. It sounds like we're forcing it, but it, it's, it covers all
1: bases. Yeah. Mm. Like sometimes people ask me, Oh, are you a comedian? I've been introduced as a comedian, I've been introduced as a satirist. Oh, yeah. And I don't correct those people when they do that, (laughs) even though I know in my heart of hearts that I'm not a comedian, but I'm like, all right, cool. If you think that, I'm just going to let you roll with that, girl, you know. Let's start right
0: off with your most embarrassing professional fail, in your opinion. Let's start on a high point. It is Um, a high point, technically.
1: Oh, it's the highest, (laughs) lowest point of my life, for sure. I have. I, I, can I just preface <laughs> you by it? saying can that I'm like it? really ashamed about w- what I'm about to read to you. But I, I think this was in 2010, so what, almost a decade ago I applied to a job at Triple J. I <laughs> can't even remember what the role was but it might have been like producer or morning newsreader or something, something that I evidently thought that I could do. And I think the, the deadline for cutoffs, for cutoffs for application was like, the next day mm. so I'm at work I'm like well shit I gotta write a cover letter yes I'm looking forward to this so I wrote what may be the world's most embarrassing mm. cover letter here it is dated the second of the third 2010 here we go it's <laughs> I just can't I'm I, you're doing really well <laughs> I'm actually going a bit red in the face okay it starts with Hello, about two minutes ago I decided to do something that I might potentially regret. I decided to write this colloquial cover letter which I hope will seduce you to the point where you immediately agree to give me a job. (laughs) (laughs) That is bold. (laughs) Seduce in the first sentence. As you know. I would like to become the new journalist breakfast newsreader at Triple J. <laughs> I like journalism. <laughs> you i know, hope so. I like reading. I like Triple J. And I like breakfast. <laughs> Mainly the eating of it.
0: Oh, yep, that's good. She's funny. <laughs> This is
1: so embarrassing. It's really good, actually. Why should you give me the job, you ask? Well, because I'm the best person for it. I'm qualified, experienced, articulate, energetic, hardworking, and I was on the hack half hour one time where I wanted to buy a house but then didn't because the douchebag real estate agent in Glebe wouldn't accept my offer. I bought a car instead. Does that count? (laughs) It's certainly colloquial. (laughs) Can you you imagine sending this to someone? I actually, I'm so sorry to the person that had to read this. Can you imagine? It's kind of ballsy. Really? I have to take off my jacket because I'm so, I'm actually so (laughs) embarrassed about myself right now. At the moment, I'm a video journalist with the SBS Living Black program. I get to travel to amazing places and film my own stories I've tried bribing the boss with cupcakes to extend my contract, but seeing as though I'm covering for a colleague, it doesn't seem likely. I now see that I should have tried cookies or Cuban cigars.
0: Do you know I'm deeply, deeply ashamed because I still tried the cupcake (laughs) bribery. I have turned up to networks with cookies. Please give me a job. Please. Have you? In my 30s. So you're doing fine. You're doing fine. At 25. That's okay. Keep going.
1: (laughs) I've already told this to my bosses. Okay, maybe not the Triple J part, but I've already told them that SBS radio is not somewhere I see myself in the long term. So when it comes to this job application, they sort of know, but they don't know. You know? (laughs) (laughs) it's so good basically what I'm trying to say is that I don't have references because I'm pretty sure my bosses don't want me to leave and I didn't mention I was applying for this role because let's face it there's probably someone already working at the ABC with suspiciously similar credentials to me who likely beat me to the job because they skipped the cupcakes and went straight for the Cubans
0: You're pouring out your soul, (laughs) Jay. You're
1: pouring out your soul in this letter. You're going through all the the variables. You see, ever since I saw this job ad on the website about half an hour ago. (laughs) It's honest.
0: It's honest.
1: Come on. (laughs) I've been filled with renewed excitement at the prospect of working with a close-knit team where I can wear loud t-shirts and pun my way out of awkward conversations, but also where I can showcase my skills as a serious, switched-on, passionate and concise journalist. Okay, that bit. Are you my hiring way me after that bit or are you not <laughs> pun my way out of awkward conversations? but Which, can I just say, absolutely does happen at Triple J. Yes. On the reg. Yeah. I nailed it. Yeah. That,
0: it may as well have been listed as a criteria on the ad.
1: Unfortunately, as a direct result of seeing this ad half an hour ago, I've only been able to attach one demo tape of a live newsread. Ideally, I would like to have put together caps lock. A showreel of awesomeness. <laughs> Ideally. Sorry, didn't. I mean, the ideal would be that I do have one of those, but I don't. So here we are. Whereby I would have showcased my TV, radio, and online stories, including that one time I did a piece to camera on a flying fox, and the other time when I got the lead story on the primetime SBS TV news bulletin. Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> Oh, my God. Then I'm like, you can always check the Living Black website for my stories. <laughs>
0: <laughs> You're really giving whoever's reading this a lot of credit that they get it.
1: Just like, I mean, like if you want to, you can, you can do some read. Like you can re- Google me. You can put in some effort. Yeah. Why don't you put in some effort? Do a bit of Googling. See what I'm about, you know? <laughs> oh my god it's two pages it's like it's two pages (laughs) it's two pages where I go on about my degree I speak three languages I have a very long and relevant employment history and an even longer history of work experience roles namely acquired through means of persistence or harassment as the police like to call it (laughs) (laughs) and then the next line goes just kidding I've never been in trouble with the police. (laughs) good. <laughs> they love me. <sighs> oh. One guy even let me go after he caught me with pee plates because he said I look like his daughter, which looking back now is kind of creepy. You put that in there. <laughs> <laughs> this was in a cover letter. I, and then here we go. Bring this it is, on this home. This is the final paragraph. I hope you don't see this cover letter as a mockery of the application process. Because this application, like all things I attempt, is something I'm taking very seriously. I have the highest respect for the ABC and the work of the Triple J team and I hope you grant me an interview in the coming weeks. I'll bring the Cuban cigars.
0: A callback is really good.
1: (laughs) Thanks for hearing me out. Signed, Jeanette. (laughs) <laughs> so people can't look at that now and go, oh, that's that's Jan Fran's first cover so letter. So people will just, they'll never know unless they listen to this podcast. They will never know the lowest moment in my professional life. Here it is. That was brilliant. Whoa. Well done. Thank you. Needless to say. You're like fanning yourself. <laughs> oh, I know. and I'm just like hugely embarrassed right now.
0: But so a bit about the cops though. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Don't do a criminal check, please. <laughs>
1: yeah never heard back from them and um a few months later packed up and moved to Bangladesh really yeah oh okay yeah why because I knew that I so I was working for Living Black which is a a really it was an amazing opportunity for a young journalist like me because you got to travel all over the country um and shoot your own stories you are given a lot of freedom but I knew that I was only ever covering for someone and she was going to come back and then I would have to go and do radio, work in radio, which I just I just didn't want to work in radio news. It just wasn't my thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I left. I applied for a position at UNICEF in Dhaka in Bangladesh and, oh, moved, wow. and moved there for a year. What was that like? It was full on. Yeah, it was full on. It was full on but it was, you know, it was like a pretty extraordinary experience. It's one of those experiences that you'll sort of take with you for life in terms of like what you – like what you remember and the friends that you made and all the stuff that you learnt and just like. Well, it's perspective, isn't it? Yeah, it's a, it's a huge amount of perspective and it's also like not to kind of make like I went for a year abroad and got some perspective. <laughs> um, but you sort of do. Like if you go for a year abroad anywhere and you don't come back with some kind of changed perspective, then you're an idiot. What, what were you doing exactly? So I was in a comms role for UNICEF. So I was doing um, a lot of the internal magazines. I was doing some of the, like, all of the stuff on their website. I was collating, like, um, things that were called fact sheets where you'd go out and you'd um, take a tour of one of the programs that UNICEF was funding with, like, partner organisations and then you would write up a fact sheet on it, you know, what it was, whether it was working. You'd do interviews with, you know, the young girls and boys that they were working with or whatever. So it was a, it was a bunch of that stuff.
0: On that, can you pinpoint a time when you felt the happiest and most fulfilled in your career or is that yet to happen or is it happening now
1: you know what when I got the cadetship I was pretty stoked
0: at SBS yeah because yeah.
1: mm. that's a that's a difficult thing to get so I applied for both the SBS and the ABC cadetship and the ABC cadetship had an exam and <laughs> nah if that uh oh, no nah, nah. I don't do exams babe no nah. essays or bust yeah But one of the questions was who hosts 7.30, who hosts the 7.30 report and I confused Tony Jones with Kerry O'Brien and I wrote Tony Jones but it was Kerry O'Brien. Oh, no. And to this day I'm pretty sure that I did not get a job at the ABC because of both Tony Jones and Kerry O'Brien. But
0: really? It seems like an odd question to ask, especially if you're asking for young people.
1: Well, I think they just want to make sure that you watch ABC programming and that you're like, you know, you know information about the organisation that you're going to go and apply for. Okay. So, yeah, I just, it wasn't meant for me, that organisation, was it, the (laughs) ABC? So I got thwarted by Tony Jones and Kerry O'Brien and then thwarted myself with like the worst (laughs) cover letter in the history of all time. Yeah. I used to have a poster on my wall when I was younger that said failure is not an option. It's it's kind of almost um, (laughs) dictatorial. No, what do you call it? Like it's it's very, yeah, It's, it's hard line, isn't it? It's very hard line. It's very hard line. To yourself. Yeah. Failure is not an option and I had it on my wall for years. Do you still believe it? No. No, I don't believe it at all. I actually think failure is the only option and failure is not failure. Yeah. Um, I think if you think that you're going to go through life and not fail, I'm doing air quotes as to what people think failing is, but if you think you're going to go through life and not fail, you're, you're going to do nothing remarkable. Right. You're going to go nowhere. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely going to go nowhere. And there's this really good quote by, I think it's, it was like Thomas Edison who, um, you know, tried, Okay, don't quote me on this, but it goes something like this. You know, he tried like 10,000 times to invent a light bulb and somebody said, oh, you failed 10,000 times. And he said, no, I didn't. I just found 10,000 things that didn't work. Yeah. It just means that now you're just one one step closer to finding the thing that does work because you know the thing that doesn't. So fuck mm. that off. It doesn't work. Next. Yeah. And it just it's just another notch in what is ultimately a much bigger and much longer trajectory.
0: Was there a moment in... That where you're like,
1: oh, this something really isn't working. So I worked on a show called The Feed for years. Um, and in 2017, it was, we just called it like the golden age of Facebook, where we thought that we had cracked some kind of code because all of our videos, when we put them on Facebook, would get like hundreds of thousands, if not millions of views, Right. And so we were really buoyed by that because The Feed was a small show. It was on the secondary network of Australia's second favourite public broadcaster, (laughs) SBS. Um, It was a great show and it had great people, but it was small, right? So its reach was always going to be kind of curtailed by being on a small network. So when we discovered that, Facebook was a thing and that we were putting our videos on Facebook and they were going gangbusters and we had, you know, hundreds of people writing to us all the time and we had thousands of people following the page and tens of thousands, now hundreds of thousands. Um, we were sort of like, wow, this has democratised news and current affairs, right? Like now we've got this platform that we could just put all of our stuff out and people are actually responding. It was sort of the first time that we felt like we really had an audience and it mattered, right? Yep. Yeah. Cause sometimes you can see the numbers right in front of you. You could see the numbers right in front of you. And people were starting to take notice. People were like, okay, well millennials are watching things on the internet and they're watching this show called the feed and it's got hundreds of thousands of views and sometimes millions of views on, on videos. We'd get heaps of views, heaps of videos that had millions of views. And then in late 2017, Facebook changed its algorithm to favor private Facebook pages, so your own personal Facebook page, rather than a page page, so a professional page, right? So things like businesses, public figures, organisations, they have pages rather than personal profiles. And because Facebook was favouring the personal profiles, suddenly the algorithm was dictating what appeared in which person's feed, right? And if you were a page, suddenly you were just not appearing anywhere, So our video views got slashed, I'm not even talking in half, I'm like we were getting suddenly like one-sixth the views that we were getting. So if a video would have had 100,000 views in 2017, suddenly it's got 20,000 views. Exact same video, exact same people producing, exact same work level, exact same everything, suddenly you have one-fifth of the people watching and you have no way of changing any of that. And because we were so invested in that, because we really felt that was our only platform, really, or one of, like social media in general, were these platforms that we could, that were suddenly democratised, that we could use. We, a tiny show with no money, were suddenly rivaling, you know, massive shows on massive commercial networks. Because we were so invested in that, it just decimated our workflow, our productivity, our morale, our way of doing things. So we had to, and this is one of, I think from the lowest points, I think come the highest ones where you realize how flexible you are and you realize how agile you are and you realize how willing to change and willing to move with the flow you are. Like we're not, we weren't so rusted on or so entitled to anything really, that we were kind of able to, to move past that. But that was a really, I think it was a really shit time. Just that there was that, that window of the three months where we were like really bummed and then we kind of got over it.
0: But what's it like being bummed? When you talk about the morale and everything, like what's that like?
1: <sighs> it's just like, you, you you just sort of feel like, oh, why, why am I even doing this? No one's watching. That's, that's, that is a, a pretty shit feeling, you know, um, uh, and and we've always sort of known, like I think working on smaller networks and smaller shows, like you do you, you work on the stuff that you work on because you love it and then suddenly when you get this audience, you're like, oh, my God, this is a whole new world. And then when, when that gets taken away, you're like, oh, well, what's the point of making all this good stuff if no one's going to see it? So you kind of have to G yourself up and be like, no, we're making good stuff, we'll readjust, we'll work it out and then we'll get more people to watch it, you know? And and it was like it was like a very there was a lot of solidarity around that time because there was a whole bunch of content makers that kind of got screwed over by it right so there was a whole bunch of people who were like yeah this this sucks you know yeah um but but you, but you also feel really helpless that's the thing like you feel there's a there's a sense of helplessness around that because you have no recourse. Mm. You know, and you're you're up against these like massive platforms who sort of you sort of realize oh they kind of don't give a shit about you really,
0: mm. yeah. But you're talking about the the being flexible and um, coming out of it and, and resilient. Like, how do you learn that, and and how did you come out of it?
1: Um, I think you 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 just get on with it because you have to get on with it because you work on a daily show and. There needs to be shit on television, you know, like otherwise there's dead air. So you need to fill space, which is the least gracious way of saying you kind of get on with it Mm -hmm. and you sort of try and adapt to, you know, who you think your audience is. Like my audience started to become very different to the audience of the show on social media in that they were a lot younger, they were very much predominantly women um, and they were like interested about particular things, right? So I think you kind of work out a way to develop your own audience and your own space and you go a little bit, you go even more niche if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, yeah. You, you, you sort of adjust your output to cater for who is paying attention but, but not, in a, not in a way that's sort of like selling out. It's just...
1: You, you sort of have to identify, okay, well, who are the people that are genuinely interested in what I have to say? Um, and, you know, I'm interested in what I have to say, obviously, because I'm saying it. So it's, it ends up being this sort of mutually beneficial relationship where you want to talk about something that you care about and there is an audience for that. You just kind of have to find them, you have to tailor to them and you have to try and kind of grow them.
0: How have you changed since that... Twenty-four-year-old Jeanette
1: that wrote the letter. <laughs> have you changed from then th- to now? Well, I've still got a lot of moxie, as you can as you can tell. <laughs> 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 there's so many names for it: <laughs> Chutzpah, yeah. moxie, balls, like pizzazz, pizzazz. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. How have I changed? I'm probably a lot calmer. Um, I probably would not write cover letters like that anymore. Oh, I don't know, I might. Well, you, you'd, have, you'd, have, you'd be able to back it up now.
0: Like the thing is I find it admirable because you were kind of acting like they should know who the fuck you are.
1: Yeah, sort of, I was. And, of course, they did not for why would they?
0: But that's fine. If you'd still
1: write a cover letter
0: like that, it wouldn't make any difference if, Like they know who you are now. So I get results. Because I just remember seeing something, that an email that my 24-year-old self wrote when I was overseas and it was after I'd been through a professional experience where I kind of was beaten down and bullied for a couple of years and convinced I wasn't very good at what I was doing. And I somehow was going through old emails and it broke my heart to see this person that was so up for everything and enthusiastic and funny and, and not not like sort of put off by the world and then to kind of go, oh, I would never write something like that now. I'm so beaten down. Oh. But to see you're like, yeah, I'd write it now. It makes perfect sense.
1: It's like I haven't lost it. I haven't lost that spark. Yeah. Oh, that's a, yeah, yeah. That's a quite a nice realisation to, to come to in yeah. this moment. yeah. Yeah, I feel like I haven't really lost the chutzpah Yeah. Or this whatever. I haven't really lost the fuck it. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's you do know? it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm so fortunate. I never felt bullied. Like I was never bullied at work. I was never I was always around genuinely quite good people. I mean, SBS, now that I'm no longer contractually obliged to say nice things about it, I actually can't not say nice things about it cuz it is a nice place to work. It
0: totally is. I love it.
1: Like I want to slag it off. I can't do it. <laughs> you know cuz it, it it just it is full of really nice people. Mm. Um and so and any time that I feel like I had a really you know a, a a low moment or felt like I was struggling or felt like I, you know, felt a great deal of discomfort were actually the moments that I have learned the most from, hands down. Hands down. Like being, I remember working on a show a few years ago and we had a producer there who was just like, I'd heard bad things about him from a number of different people, just his kind of like working style and, you know, how we sort of approach things and how you know, he, he kind of he, – he put things together and the way that he spoke to you and, you know. Abrasive. Yeah, yeah, quite abrasive.
0: Uh, that's so old school.
1: Is that an old school thing? So old Maybe. school because all
0: the young people at the feet are not like that. No. They roll with it, they problem solve, but there's this breed of old TV dude and sometimes women that are just like just, just so abrasive and borderline hostile and difficult and we've all experienced it.
1: Yeah. And I – you know, I was kind of like the freshy, really young, not really knowing what was sort of going on, not really knowing. Like I, I tried to organize a fixer, you know, overseas. A fixer is someone that um, helps you out when you're um, shooting something overseas, especially if the language is not English, they kind of organize things. Um, and, you know, I was having some trouble with the fixer and this was sort of the, maybe the first fixer that I'd ever organized in a non-English speaking country. And I remember he was like, I said, oh, I don't know. I, I've got some issues with the fixer and he said okay do you want to dump the fixer and I said oh I I, I don't know he said well you better find out if you want to dump the fixer or not because we don't have time for this you know and in that moment I was like I think I think I might have, like, ran to the toilet and started crying because it was just so full on that, you know, if I dumped the fixer and it turns out that she was a good, you know, she, she, we, I had three days left to find another fixer. And if I didn't find another fixer, the story would turn to shit. And we had already booked everything and it was overseas and I was the one that was going to shoot it. Like it just felt like this intense amount of pressure for that one moment of are you going to dump the fixer or not, you need to know and you need to know now. Rather than can we solve this particular
0: issue right now without having to resort to extremes?
1: Yes. But you see, yes. But now I know when I'm going to dump a fixer it. Oh, okay. You know <laughs> okay. what I mean? Yeah. Like now it's not, I don't, I, I... It wasn't, internalised as the wrong word. I just, I really just took that on board. Once I got over the abrasiveness of it, it doesn't have to be abrasive, but there's something about the abrasiveness of it that goes, okay, well, I'm not gonna um, ask this guy twice. I'm just gonna know.
0: It's actually true.
1: The next time I, I see him, I'm gonna say, hey, I don't trust the fixer, I'm dumping the fixer. Or no, I'm keeping the fixer. You know what I mean? And, and and part part of that's driven by the fear of never having to wanting to be in that situation again where he yells at you. And part of that is also driven by, all right, I'm just gonna like just stand on make my a own decision. TV. Yeah. Yep, make a decision. I'm just yep. gonna make a decision. Um and so when I say that sometimes in the worst moments, some of the best moments come out of that, or some of the best learning experiences come out of that. That was kind of just a classic example of just like being face-to-face with someone who terrifies you and then suddenly you're infinitely better at making decisions because you're driven by the fear of never wanting to go through that again slash kind of just accepting responsibility. Awesome.
0: Awesome. I think that's a great lesson learned. Sums you up. There you go. Moxie and decisions. Uh. <laughs>
1: Moxie and decisions. <laughs> Quit sparring decisions, whatever you want to call it, yeah.
0: Um, thank you so much for chatting with me, Jan Fran. Thanks, Chris. Okay. Thanks for listening. To share your fails with me, you can contact me on my Facebook or Twitter at Greta Lee Jackson. Fail with Greta Lee Jackson is presented by me and recorded at the studios of Podcast One Australia. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. For more episodes of Fail with Greta Lee Jackson, download the Podcast One app or look me up on Apple Podcasts.